Good morning. It's good to see you all again. I had a, a great few days off uh, with the family, and it was a nice time up at the Russian River, but it's good to be back. Scott did an amazing job, and it's grateful to have him to be able to come out uh, and share with you guys. Um, but I'm glad to be back. This morning, we're going to begin a new series called Seasons. And as I was thinking about this, you know, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says that there is a season for everything under the sun. There, there's a, a time to laugh, a time to cry, a time to be born, a time to die. And we go through seasons in our lives. And so much of what we experience, it's almost like God is giving us glimpses of what can happen in our lives through the things that happen around us. I know that I didn't understand what love really was until I got married. And then I realized that love was really sacrifice. It's not, oh, I love you. I mean, it includes that. But when you're going to have a depth of love, something with substance, then it's going to require sacrifice. And nothing helps you to understand that like another person. I didn't get an amen there. I was kind of expecting something from that. And then you realize, wow, love is really more about giving than it is receiving. And that love even grew more when I had children. I, I never knew what sacrifice really was until I had children. And I realized that my life is not my own. That it belongs to these children who are now dependent on us at the beginning for everything. And I didn't know the love that God had for me as fully as I do now, except by me becoming a parent. And these things that happen to us just in our daily living, I believe God has allowed to happen to reveal who He is to us, to help us get a, a deeper understanding of the God who is beyond our ability to fully comprehend, who we can't see because He is spirit, but he's allowed us to understand maybe a little bit more clearly through the things that we naturally experience. And so the psalmist tells us in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sounds is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. And so the psalmist is saying that God is speaking and it's all around you. It's happening in the heavens. It's happening in the things that we see in the universe. And it's happening in the things that take place in our lives, in the creation that he has created. Because all of this has his fingerprints on it. You and I have God's fingerprints on our lives. And if, if we would be able to adjust the focus of our lives, maybe we could see God a little bit more clearly 
through all the things around us. Maybe we could see God even in the seasons of our life. And, and I think that there are seasons in our lives. Sometimes those seasons change more quickly than in months. Sometimes they change in a day, right? I have a couple of seasons a day sometimes. I have a phone call. <laughs> the season change. But the seasons take place, and I think they show us not only how things change in an environmental way, but how things can change for us in maybe more of a, a personal way. So we're going to start with summer, since we're in summer. And I want to ask you, what word comes to mind when you hear the word summer? Hot. hot. That's kind of what summer means, actually. Hot. What else? Beach. What else? Pool, vacation. You, you know vacation's happening. Look around you. See all the empty seats? Vacation. What's that? Piglets? Picnics. Okay, I was like, piglets? <laughs> okay, picnics. Okay. Notice that most of these things have the idea of festivity, uh, going to the beach. When I, I googled summer and I put images, beach came up. It was all beach. You know, I was like, well, that's summer. And that's the idea. We just got back from vacation. Vacation. And so there's this idea of celebration. And I think it's really important that we understand that our lives should have celebration. That it is an important part of our experience. And it's something that God wants us to experience as well. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. We're going to look at a place where we begin this idea of celebration. Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, he said. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. Now, I got to stop there because the word banquet sounds really nice. What Levi did was throw a party. Just so you know, it sounds nice. Oh, it's a banquet. Who's at the banquet? All of Levi's friends. Who's Levi's friends? They're all other tax collectors. We'll talk more about that in a second. Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to the sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. To fully understand what's taking place, we have to recognize a couple of things. One, that back in Jesus' time, tax collectors were not liked, not, you know, compared to how they are so loved today. It was a position where people saw them as enemies to their nation because they were collecting tax money for the Roman government. And so they were being paid by their oppressors and they were making a handsome living doing this. 
They were extorting money from their own people, so they were seen as traitors. So just so we have an idea who these tax collectors are. The second thing we need to understand is that when a rabbi like Jesus would come and talk to someone and say, follow me, what they are doing is asking them to change their life direction and saying, I see in you something that can do what I do. Follow me isn't just, hey, let's go down and grab something to eat. It's change your life and become like I am. Follow me is to follow my example, to to follow my steps and to do as I do. And so when Levi, a tax collector, probably hearing about this rabbi Jesus who's doing these amazing things and thinking to himself, there's no chance I can ever, you know, follow Jesus. I'm a tax collector. Everybody hates me. But you know there's an inner conversation that God is having with Levi. There's an inner desire that Levi has because God has created us to have a longing for him. And all of a sudden, this rabbi comes to Levi and says, follow me. And he does. He leaves a job of affluence because he is broke inside and he needs riches that that money can't fill. And he goes to followed the rabbi in the hopes to satisfy the need of his life. Something big is taking place here. And it's a big deal for Levi because what he does is he throws a party and he gets all his friends to come and meet this man, meet this rabbi. And so now you've got Jesus in a house full of traitors. And he's fine there. The Pharisees see this. Don't you know? And what they say, he's eating and drinking with these tax collectors. He's having a good time. I want you to think of summer and I want you to think celebration. What's he celebrating? What's there to celebrate? These people are the ones who are misusing us. These people are the ones who are oppressing us. What are you doing? Eating, drinking, having festivities with these people. Shouldn't you go there and rebuke them? Shouldn't you go there and tell them what they're doing wrong? Why are you celebrating with them? And Jesus tells us, it's not the healthy or the righteous. I've come for the sick. I've come for those who are broken. I've come for those who are in need. You see, we've been convinced that after we've come to faith, we now should hide in church. Church becomes the place where we go to and it's a tragedy, but most people who come to faith in Christ one, two years after they become, quote, a Christian, they no longer have friends who are outside of the faith. And they are encouraged to keep to their own. And yet here is Jesus at a party full of tax collectors. And you see, we need to develop a a celebratory theology, one that can celebrate God, one that isn't afraid that I am going to be 
influenced by the world, but one that acknowledges that I have the ability to actually influence the world. One that will stop hiding and one that will actually step in to those areas that everyone else was uncomfortable to go to. And so I want to talk about this and I want to look at how this looks at. You see, Jesus was called by the Pharisees basically a drunkard. It says in Luke 7, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, He is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's what they are saying. But wisdom is proved right by her children. In other words, you will see the proof of what I do by what it produces. The children, the, the offspring of what it's going to accomplish. So much of what Jesus did was at these kinds of events. I know, he did amazing things. He, he rose from the dead. You can't really top that. That's kind of trumps everything. He walked on water. That's another pretty nifty thing to do. He fed thousands with small loaves and, and fish. But so much of what he did was in situations like this, in parties and houses with people who they considered gluttons, who they considered drunkards. And he would go there, and we need to be that have that kind of mentality that realizes that, you know what? We are supposed to be the net that people who are broken, lonely, and lost fall into. Not a fortress that they need to get into. And what Jesus is doing is going and he is celebrating the God who loves them with them. See, why would people want what you have? What is it about you that makes what you believe so enticing? Do they look at your life and, man, that person is joyous? That person has just such a, a great disposition about it. That person is so nice, so kind, so open. They're so good to me. Because if you notice that it's really the relationship that wins the hearts of people, not the arguments. Or are we so secluded that people look at us and say, yeah, that's for them, no thanks. You have your thing, I'll have mine. But what happens when light enters into a darkened room and it exposes the hurt and it exposes the brokenness and it heals the hurt? It heals the, the problems that are there in your life. And they go to you and they say, hey, can I ask you a question? Have you ever been depressed or feel like you just wonder what your life's about and you could be honest say yeah i know exactly what you're talking about why are they coming to you because you are celebrating life in their midst and that's exactly what jesus is doing see being holy doesn't make you isolated but if you're going to be like jesus you will actually be invited to the best parties in town because they want to hear what you have to say. 
because they want you to meet their friends. I love it when someone introduces me to their friend and say, hey, I want you to talk to this guy because I think he can help you. I'm not saying that because, yeah, I can help you. I, I, I'm saying that because what they're trying to do is connect them to Jesus. And they're looking at their friend and saying, I know the situation. You've told me at work the problems you're going to. Hey, why don't you talk to, to this guy? He's my pastor. Well, I don't know about that. No, really, it's okay. Because he's talked to me about some issues that I've gone through, and I think he can help you too. You see, you've lifted their spirits, and so now they want to bring their friends and say, hey, can you help them too? And that's exactly what Levi was doing. This Man, this rabbi reached out to me, the tax collector, in my condition, and he asked me to follow him. Guess what? You can follow God too. You don't know me. It's too much for me. How many times have I told people, well, you should come and join us. If I went into that church, God would strike it down with lightning. Why would they think such a thing? Why would they not think, no, if you came here, we would stand and applaud and welcome you because we are just like you. I was a Levi. I was a tax collector. And Jesus called me and accepted me. I I can remember I was at a house and Jesus came in and he sat with us and he ate with us and he drank with us. And he revealed God to us. No, you would be welcome here. No, this is where you belong. You belong here. And do they know that? Do they recognize that? So many times our theology doesn't recognize the value of celebration, the value of people, so that people actually would want to know God because they met you. And the best way to convince someone that there is life is to get them around life, is to be alive around them. It's contagious. There are people you want to be around. Why? Because they're fun. You hang out with them and they just, everything's good. There are other people, why? Because, man, if I go with them, it's a downer. So how's it going? Well, it's pretty bad. Yeah, I know it. It's always bad. Is that us? We always complaining? Another passage I want to turn to in Nehemiah chapter 8. What's taking place here is the law has just been revealed. The, The written law that the children of Israel had been given to them by God had been lost for for so many years and now they find it again. They hear the reading of the law and they are touched because they recognize, man, we haven't been living according to the law that God had given us. We've strayed from the path that we were supposed to be living. And so they find themselves in this place where now we've got the law revealed to us. How are we supposed to deal with this? Verse 9 says, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Now think, when you think a day is holy to the God your Lord, what does it strike images to you? Is it incense and candles? Is it people, you know, being quiet and bowed down? This is a holy day to the Lord your God. And what does he go on to say? Do not mourn or weep 
For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Now there's some advice. What is the sweet drinks? It's sweet wine. Like Stella Rosa. Seeing who laughs, okay. Go and enjoy. God has just revealed himself to us. He has given us insight to who he is. What are we supposed to do? Stop mourning. Stop weeping. Go enjoy some good food, some sweet wine. And he goes on to tell them why. He says, enjoy the sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. Share the goodness. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. God's joy is now what strengthens me. You see, God has revealed himself to me. I should be rejoicing. I should be sharing it. I should be able to exclaim, do you know how great this is? Let's have a party. See, God's all into parties, I'm telling you. It's here. And so he says, the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this day is holy and do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Jesus was called a glutton and a drunkard. What are they told in Nehemiah to do when God reveals himself through the law? Eat, drink. We're going to talk about drinking here because I want to make things clear. I'm not telling everyone, go get hammered. It's okay. You see, the scriptures have a lot to say about alcohol, about drinking. It's just interesting that when Jesus was called a glutton and a drunkard, He then leaves us two sacraments. One is baptism. The other is communion where we break bread and we are to drink from the cup of the vine, which was wine at that time. Interesting. You're a glutton and a drunkard here. I want you to celebrate, break bread and drink wine. The scriptures have an emphasis on moderate use of alcohol and have definite warnings against drunkenness. Overall, there are 247 references to alcohol in the scriptures. And they're going to be broken up into basically three categories. There are those that are negative. And all the ones that are negative are talking about being drunk. It's clear. You are not to get drunk. And there's 40 references negative about that drunkenness. That's 16% of where scripture talks about alcohol. 16% is done in a way that is negative saying not to get drunk. It's clear. There are 145 passages that give a positive reference to alcohol. That's 59%. Some of you are freaking out right now. Some are medicinal, like 1 Timothy 5.23, to take and drink some wine for your frequent stomach ailments. Some are like here in Nehemiah, time to celebrate. Proverbs say to to give 
that wine to someone who's going down in a time of need that they, their spirits might be lifted. Now, there is a line between drunkenness and moderation. There are also neutral categories where about 25% of the scripture talks about alcohol in a neutral sense. So you could take it and put it on whichever side you want to. It's not going one way or another. But overwhelmingly, scripture talks about alcohol in a positive light. Why? Don't, doesn't God know all the damage that alcohol has done to our families, to our nation, to civilization? Isn't God aware? Of course he is. See, the problem isn't the alcohol. The problem is the abuse. And and it's like that in so many situations. People should understand that sex is a good thing, but there is the abuse outside of the covenant that God has designed. But it's supposed to be good. You're supposed to be able to celebrate. But you have to be responsible. So instead of vilifying everything, what we need to do is own responsibility for everything we do. Some people cannot drink. It's detrimental to them. It's detrimental to their families. It will lead them to abusive drinking. It will lead them to drunkenness. They go there. They have a propensity towards that. They shouldn't drink because of the outcome. There are other people where it's not that problematic. And they can enjoy a glass of wine. They can enjoy a beer. Well, how do I know? Aren't you opening the door? It's a slippery slope. I'm just telling you what the scriptures say. Jesus went to these places and he drank with them. He didn't get drunk. He was called a drunkard. Because labels are easy. Responsibility is hard. See, I I wish I would have taught my kids more about responsibility then just don't. I I wish I would have conveyed to my kids the recourse of action rather than just put it away and don't do it, otherwise it's bad. Because what happens is they see other people having a good time. They're not getting drunk. They're not getting put in jail. They're not getting DUIs. They actually seem to be having fun. And I'm vilifying it. And they're saying two plus two isn't equaling what you're saying. And it's giving them a mixed message. But we want to so keep ourselves from any problems that we just vilify things. But sometimes by doing that, what we actually do is stop what God is wanting us to even enjoy. He wants us to celebrate. Now, we can do it without alcohol. I can do it with cheesecake. Cheesecake is not good for you. Just telling you. We could go into a whole thing about obesity, and you can watch all the documentaries on, you know, the food stuff, and then think, oh, that's terrible. I'll never eat that again until you go out to the Cheesecake Factory, right? And then. 
I'm here, but I as well have some cheesecake. There's nothing wrong with enjoying cheesecake. Sugar isn't the devil. But you can abuse it. It can cause problems to your body. It can lead to diabetes if it's over-abused. But that's not the problem. The problem is abuse, isn't it? The problem is self-control. See, I, I know as many people who are intoxicated by jealousy and envy as those who are intoxicated by Jim Beam. So what we really need is to understand who we are and we need to be able to celebrate the life that God wants to give us and not vilify everything that comes around. And it's important that we see that. See in Luke 7, 33 and 34. It's not up there. For the John the Baptist came neither eating and drinking wine. You say he has a demon. Son of man came eating and drinking. You say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. We'll close here. Starting at verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the place of honor at the table, Jesus again is going into a a situation at one of the Pharisees' houses. He sees how they're picking a place of honor at a table. He told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host will, who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a place better, a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so he's giving them a character assignment. Don't go and assume you have a haughty place, a place that's high. Have you ever gone to a baseball game and you're in the nosebleeds, you know, you're way up at the top and you're looking down and it's like, oh man, look at those seats. Some good seats right there. Let's go get a hot dog and let's mosey on down and and let's go there, right? I, I know, maybe you've done this, you know. Uh, and so you go and you get something to eat and then you just slyly pretend like it's our seat, you know, because you've been eyeing those seats right on the rail. And so you go walking down, acting all cool, don't let them know that it's not our seat, you know, and you're trying to, hey, how's it going? Like, you know, everybody, yeah, yeah. And you go and you sit there and you're there for an inning and you're just enjoying it. And it's like, man, this is the best. This is great. Oh, man, these are great seats. And then someone comes down and they go, excuse me, sir. And it's like, oh, no, busted. Uh, those are our seats. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, and you look at your ticket like, oh, really? Yeah, I know. <laughs> and then, right, it's the walk of shame. Like you get up because everyone knows you went and sat there and it's like, excuse me, pardon me. Excuse me. Yeah, those aren't our seats. Yeah, we don't belong here. We got to go back up there, you know, and you head on up. And it's just like, oh, that's disgraceful. 
One time I got to go to a Laker game. It was during the playoffs. A friend of mine worked for Niederlander, and so he had this connection to get great seats. And so we got to go and sit. It was like five rows up from the floor, and it was center court. It was amazing. They had waitresses come and serve you food. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is cool. And so this waitress comes, can I help you guys? And we ordered something to eat. And then she came back and we went to hand her money. And she goes, oh, no, it's been taken care of. The guy whose seats it was paid for our food. I'm like, yeah. All the people around are looking at us like, who are these guys? It's like, we're nobody. But we, we got some free food. You see, all of a sudden we got elevated, but we didn't assume it ourselves. And so Jesus says we're to go in with this kind of mentality, with this understanding so that God can exalt us. Then Jesus said in verse 12 to the host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will have you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And then he goes on and he gives a parable. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. It's like, yeah, Jesus, yeah, blessed is the one who's going to be there. And Jesus says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet. They like that word banquet. And invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Really? You have to go see a field because it's going to change tomorrow. So you start to see, oh, this excuse is kind of lame. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Can't try them out tomorrow, huh? You didn't try them out before you bought them. You just bought them sight unseen. Okay, sure. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. That one's legitimate. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hear that one later the servant came back and reported this to his master then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the towns and bring in the poor the crippled the blind and the lame sir the servant said what what you ordered has been done but there's still room then the master told his servant go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get to taste of my banquet. We should never underestimate the mercy or compassion of God. We need to recognize that what God is wanting to do is to invite people to a feast. 
that when God reveals himself, it is to be celebrated. You are to have choice food. You can have the wine. You are to revel in the fact that God has reached out to me. A person like Levi, a person who was despised, God has brought me into his presence. And so what did Levi do? He invited Jesus into his home. You you see, it's a tragedy that we have become so exclusive where people see the church as a place only for those people. And Jesus is saying, go out in the streets because if there's a chair empty, that means there is a soul empty and I want to fill it. And they need to be here. I want them to come into my presence and I want to have a celebration for them. I want them to know that I am for them, not against them. Invite everyone. Someone had sent me a book and wanted me to read it recently because, well, I think they feel that I have erred in some of my thinking. And so here is a quote from the book that I was given. It says, Is there an antidote for a culture being drained by laughter? I think not. When everything from politics to education to religion has become defined by its entertainment value, listen to this, the culture as a whole seems to have become too trivialized to redeem. Unless, of course, the Lord decides to intervene in a marvelous way. Unless the Lord decides to intervene, he already has intervened. He is going out in the streets and he is inviting everybody. You're going to trivialize what God is wanting to do? You think God is going to be exclusive? Oh no, you're, you're having too much festivities. Oh no, you're, you're too inclined to entertainment. Oh no, you don't understand. You can't get it because you have to be this mentality. That's exactly what Jesus was fighting against. That's exactly what Levi reveled against. No, you come here into this home with these people because these people need you. We need you. Every seat here should be filled with someone who we love because we love them and God loves them and we want to to celebrate with them the goodness that God has for them as he's given that goodness to us. It should overwhelm us that we can't help but go. When I was in high school, right after I became a follower of Christ, a friend of mine and I would go and we would find parties. And the reason we'd go find parties wasn't so we could go and party. It's because at every party... Every party, there is someone's heart who's being broken. There is someone who is struggling. There is a girl who jilted the guy or vice versa. There's someone whose friends had deserted them. We found this one guy, his car was in this ravine because he was drunk and he'd driven down this ravine. But there was another party that they were going to. All his friends got out of the car, got a ride from someone else and left him in his car there in the ravine. Me and my friends show up. Hey, dude, what's going on? He's sitting there on the curb just like, friends, they just left me. What are you doing here? My car. It's like, oh, wow, there's your car. My friend had a truck. We got some chain. We pulled his car up. 
we shared Christ with him. See, God's looking for you. I'm not going to trivialize the fact that God is reaching out to you. We should never give up on humanity because it communicates that God has given up on them. And that's just not true. See, what we should do is invite people to the party. What we should do is go to the party and reveal life to them. I want people to know that Genesis has a place for them. I I want every one of your friends and family to know that no matter who you are, what you are into, you can come here. We love you. God loves you. You see, those who were lame, those who were blind, those were the people who they thought God didn't like because of their condition. Oh, if that person is is crippled in some way, it shows that God doesn't like them. God's punishing them. That person's poor. It shows that they don't have favor with God. You find that person who people think doesn't have favor with God and you tell them, you're welcome to my party. And you can come anytime. Because that's the God we believe in. That's the Jesus who celebrates life. And so there has to be a season in our lives, a summer where you can enjoy the good food, where you can enjoy the drink, where you can celebrate that God has made his presence known to you, that people can say, hey, what's going on with you? I've got it good. Let me tell you about it. Let's go grab something to eat. Let's go grab a drink. What? Yeah, I got to tell you about this guy. Let's reveal the Jesus who is in Scripture. The one who cares enough to go. The one who tells us to invite. The one who tells us to celebrate because God has made himself known to us. Let's pray. Father, for some of us, it it seems so foreign to think about you celebrating, to think about you encouraging us to eat or to drink, to be festive. For some of us, we have grown up with a mentality where Holiness is quiet and reserved and exclusive. And so there are a lot of things that we have to adjust in our thinking to be able to embrace the things that you say. But Lord, what is important to you and what should be important to us as people And so, Father, I pray for those who are here this morning who who have a hard time celebrating, have a hard time rejoicing in the knowledge that you are good to them. May you set them free. May they loosen up. And for those who struggle with alcohol or with drugs or other addictions, those who are taken captive by these things, might they recognize, Lord, that you have called them to freedom, not to bondage. 
And if those things are leading them into a bondage away from you, may they be wise enough and may they show the resolve to say, no, I don't need that. It's detrimental to me. And Father, we are in a community where there are both together. And so those who have the freedom, may they not abuse it. May we be sensitive to those who don't have the freedom. May we live in community, honest community, that dialogues and say, oh, you don't drink? Why? Oh, I have a problem with drink. Oh, well, let me pray for you. I won't drink around you. May we be honest, but may we be real and may we, Father, may we reveal the God who celebrates life. May we bring people into this party. And might our lives celebrate all you have done for us. For there is a season that we should. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. May the God who reached you use you to reach others. May the God who made himself known to you be celebrated in your life. And may your celebration include everyone around you. May the festivities in our lives be seen in our character and in all that we do. God bless you guys. Have a great day.